I'm going to read through Ecclesiastes 7. This is the passage we'll be going through tonight. Wisdom for life. A good reputation is more valuable than costly perfume, and the day you die is better than the day you are born. Better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies, so the living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. A wise person thinks a lot about death, while a fool only about having a good time. Better to be criticized by a wise person than to be praised by a fool. A fool's laughter is quickly gone, like thorns crackling in a fire. This is also meaningless. Extortion turns wise people into fools, and bribes corrupt the heart. Finishing is better than starting. Patience is better than pride. Control your temper, for anger labels you a fool. Don't long for the good old days. This is not wise. Wisdom is even better when you have money. Both are a benefit as you go through life. Wisdom and money can get you almost anything, but only wisdom can save your life. Accept the way God does things, for who can straighten what he has made crooked? Enjoy prosperity while you can, but when hard times strike, realize that both come from God. Remember that nothing is certain in this life. I have seen everything in this meaningless life, including the death of good young people and the long life of wicked people. So don't be too good or too wise. Why destroy yourself? On the other hand, don't be too wicked either. Don't be a fool. Why die before your time? Pay attention to these instructions, for anyone who fears God will avoid both extremes. One wise person is stronger than ten leading citizens of a town. Not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. Don't eavesdrop on others. You may hear your servant curse you, for you know how often you yourself have cursed others. I have always tried my best to let wisdom guide my thoughts and actions. I said to myself, I am determined to be wise, but it didn't work. Wisdom is always distant and difficult to find. I searched everywhere, determined to find wisdom and to understand the reason for things. I was determined to prove to myself that wickedness is stupid and that foolishness is madness. I discovered that a seductive woman is a trap more bitter than her death. Her passion is a snare, and her soft hands are chains. Those who are pleasing to God will escape her, but sinners will be caught in her snare. This is my conclusion, says the teacher. I discovered this after looking at the matter from every possible angle. Though I have searched repeatedly, I have not found what I was looking for. Only one out of a thousand men is virtuous, but not one woman. But I did find this. God created people to be virtuous, but they have each turned to follow their own downward path. This is the word of the Lord. Well, what's up? What's up, my people? How you doing tonight, BCM family? Good stuff, good stuff. Hey, uh, I'm looking forward uh, to us jumping back into the book of Ecclesiastes again tonight. Uh, Speaking of that, man, when I was a uh, freshman... In college, any freshmen here in the room? Come on, make some noise in the house if you are a freshman. Oh, freshman. When I was a freshman in college, I uh, worked as uh, a receptionist at an assisted living facility. And uh, so I had the responsibility of answering phones, transferring phone calls, giving tours. It was a lot of fun, but that wasn't necessarily my favorite thing. My favorite thing that I enjoyed, okay, in that role was actually hanging out with the residents, okay, who lived at this assisted living facility. Uh, most of them were like the age of 65 or above. It was a lot of old people, okay, that were there. And uh, we had a lot of fun. 
I, I really, really loved, okay, uh, smash talking, especially over a good game of bingo. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a living facility before, but man, they don't play any games, okay, when it comes to bingo. I definitely got crushed multiple times, all right? And uh, it was also fun just sitting around, listening to their stories as they would talk about the good old days, right? And then just, uh, man, spitting some wisdom to the young buck, which was me, about life. And I love that. Over the last uh, few weeks, we've been studying the book of Ecclesiastes. Say Ecclesiastes. We've been learning from the life of a real dude. He was not a fictional character. He's a real guy who actually lived on a planet. And his name was Solomon. He was older when this book was written about uh, his life. He he uh, looks like, imagine in your mind now, like Mr. Rogers, okay, uh, wearing uh, his uh, cardigan sweater. Which would, be, which would be my neighbor, you know. He's tried a lot of things under the sun, he tells us. Uh, he has tried wisdom, he's tried wine, and much more than wine, he's tried pleasure under the sun, hedonistic pleasure. Wealth and women and work, and none of those things, ultimately, he says, man, brought any kind of satisfaction. He couldn't find any satisfaction in any of those things under the sun. We've been learning what to do and what not to do from this dude, Solomon's life. Let me ask you a question tonight before we continue on. Do you want to live a good life? Do you? You can talk back to me. Do you? I mean, if you want to live a good life, regardless if you say, yeah, I'm a Christian tonight or not, whether you consider yourself to be religious or irreligious or agnostic, doesn't matter. How many, just as a human, how many would say, I want to live a good life? Raise your hand across the room. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I saw anybody in here who's like, no. I don't want to live a catastrophic life, you know, like, oh my, just to blow up. None of us. I don't think we like, actually say that. So many of us, especially, man, as a college student, when facing something new, we need to follow someone old. Somebody who's been there and done that before, and Solomon is one of those guys that he has been there and he has done that. The book of Ecclesiastes provides a fountain of wisdom for life, and we could use that. I know I certainly can. It's like sitting down with a wise grandma or a wise grandpa. Anybody have a wise grandmother or a wise grandfather? Okay. Now, if not, that's okay. All right. Don't point them out. All right. But if you do, you're like, I love my grandma you know? Or maybe they're not wise. Maybe they can just cook. You know what I mean? Like they can just throw down in the kitchen. Well, being in the book of Ecclesiastes is like sitting down with your your wise grandfather, Solomon, who's spitting some wisdom about life, sharing with us what's important in life and what's really not that important in life. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 15, Solomon, he he says this in verse 15 uh, here in my Bible. He says, I've seen everything in this meaningless life. Pretty interesting. But the key word actually here in this chapter, in chapter 7 tonight, is the word better. Look at verse 2. Better to spend your time at funerals. Verse 3. Sorrow is better than laughter. Uh, Verse 5. Better to be criticized by a wise person. Verse 8. Finishing is better than starting Patience is better than pride. Better. Say better. Now, when the Bible repeats a word, you better pay attention. When the Bible repeats a word again and again more than one time, you and I, not just you, we better pay attention. 
great way to think about Ecclesiastes chapter 7 is to go back to grade school when you were taught in math. Anybody love math here in the room? Yes. Anybody like me that like despises math in the room? Yeah, I'm like that. Yes. I could actually do without math, you know, but, you know, I guess we kind of need it. But in math, we were taught about a symbol, which was greater than or less than symbol. Does this ring a bell to you? Yes. We've all seen that before. And today, if you will, Solomon, our brother Solomon, he is teaching about something that is less than and something that is greater than when it comes to life. So you say, Jay, come on, man, get to the point. Okay, I'm coming, I'm coming. Calm down. Here's really the thrust, the, the bottom line for tonight, and the segment will be up on the screen, and that is this. Godly wisdom is greater than worldly foolishness, according to the scriptures. Godly wisdom is greater than worldly foolishness, according to the scriptures. Now, most of us in this room won't disagree with this thesis statement. I said most of us, maybe not all of us. For most of us in this room, we will not disagree with this statement in and of itself until we actually look at wisdom in its context. I want to give you a couple more equations. You're like, Jay, I was trying to leave math behind, okay, when I came here tonight. But here's an equation when it comes to foolishness. Information minus application equals foolishness. Information minus application equals foolishness. It's interesting because an ancient literature would tell you that just knowing something doesn't make you wise. Would you agree with that? Here's an interesting fact. Once again, I'm going to give you a chance again, freshmen in the room. Where are all the freshmen at in the room? Make some noise, freshmen. Yes, yes, yes. So here's an interesting fact about USF freshmen, okay, who are here right now. According to the USF newsroom, there you have it. The freshman class this fall is the strongest academically in USF history. Oh, now you want to talk, huh? Now you want to be heard. This group carries an average high school GPA of 4.20. An average SAT score of 1308. And an average ACT score of 29. Y'all are smart. But just because you're smart, just because you have a lot of knowledge, doesn't make you wise. Here's another equation for us tonight, and that is this. Information plus application equals wisdom. Information plus application equals wisdom. It has been said this, that unapplied truth is like paint. It doesn't do anybody any good until it is applied. Let me say that again. Unapplied truth is like paint. It doesn't do anybody any good until it is applied. 
looking around this room, and I think about our BCM family, there's many of you here, you know a lot even when it comes to this book, the Bible. It doesn't make you wise. How much of this are we applying to our life? That is where wisdom is found. Jesus, he reinforces his truth actually at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27. In Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. It is one of the greatest sermons that was ever preached, okay, the human lips. And we know Jesus was both human and divine. And here's what he says here in these verses right here. He says this, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it, not just listens, but follows it. Another way of saying that is applies it to their life is what? Is what? Is what? Wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it, does not apply the truth, is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Pretty interesting. It's 2022. It's crazy to believe this year is almost over with. We'll be in 2023 before you know it, Lord willing. Right in your pocket right now is a ton of information. You have way more information at your fingertips, on your device, on your phones than any other generation has ever lived on the planet. At any moment, within two seconds, you could fact check me if you wanted to. And to see if what I was saying was actually a fact or not. Just with something called Google. You ever heard of it before? But as believers, for those of us in this room who are Christ followers, and by the way, I want to make it very clear, here in this space, all people are welcome. Ismarie, she actually talked about that. We believe that every single person, you are somebody. You are somebody that has been made in the image of God. So whether you're a person that's in this room, who would say, yes, I am a follower of Christ? Or would you be a person in this room that say, I'm investigating, not quite sure what I believe? All are welcome here in this space. But let me speak specifically to those of you who are in this room that are Christ followers. We believe this, that wisdom is not just a bunch of principles. It's not just something that you get from a fortune cookie, all right, from a Chinese restaurant. And I love Chinese food, and I like fortune cookies. Wisdom is a person. As believers, we believe that person is Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen in the house? Wisdom is not just some abstract, okay, ideas or principles. It is a person. In fact, the apostle Paul reinforces his truth in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, where he says, God has united us, united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. And as we look over this passage for tonight in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, we learn a couple of things about godly wisdom. Can we roll through them really quickly? You're like, please, because I don't want to be here until midnight tonight. You won't be, I promise. Here's the first thing. Godly wisdom faces reality. Godly wisdom faces reality. 
Let's look at verse 1 and verse 2 real quickly. It won't be on the screen, but it'll be in your Bible, or you can share a Bible next to you if you don't have one. Here's what it says. A good reputation is more valuable than costly perfume, and the day you die is better than the day you are born. Pretty morbid, Solomon. Verse 2, better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. What? After all, everyone dies. So the living should take this to heart. That doesn't really sound too cheery. Solomon says godly wisdom faces reality. Solomon, he gives us two places that we can go to face reality. One, he says, you can go, you can hang out at a party. How many of you love good parties? I mean, I love a good party. Nothing wrong with that. He says, you can go to a good party where there's laughter or, or dancing, uh, bachata, maybe, I don't know, uh, you know, just like, you know, or the Cupid Shuffle, where there's some good food. Or you can go to a funeral home. Now, let's just be honest. When's the last time you, you looked at someone and said, you want to go hang out? Yeah, cool. Okay, let's go to the funeral home down the road. We're going to go to the funeral house down the road and just hang out with our popcorn. I mean, that's never happened to me before. Yet Solomon says, you can go to a party, you can go to a funeral home where there is mourning and there is grief. After reading these verses, I thought to myself, you know what? I have spoken both at a wedding and a funeral. I've spoken at a wedding. In fact, just this past weekend, I was at a wedding down in Vero on the beach. It was beautiful. But here's what I know. As a minister who's officiating, okay, the wedding, you're just kind of like a prop. Like, nobody's really listening to you like that. They're all googly-eyed over the couple. They're looking at them like, oh, look how beautiful the bride looks. Look at her dress. Oh, my goodness. And because we're on the beach, people were, were probably distracted, not just by the bride and the groom, but the random people who were laying out on the beach as well, you know? But were they really focusing in on what I was saying? Probably not. But I was there. But it's interesting, though, because at a funeral, people are focused. The funerals, at least the ones that I have spoken at, there's been a body that's there that's not alive. The very first funeral that I spoke at was actually so sad. It was a brand newborn baby. Do you think people were listening? I had a captive audience. People were thinking about life. What Solomon is saying here is be careful. You don't constantly avoid putting yourself in the path of God. What I mean by that is that you don't sort of build your life to be this fantasy where you always are on the, the, the up and up. You're always distracted by fun and entertainment. And in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with fun entertainment. There's nothing wrong with a good, wholesome party. There's nothing wrong with, you know, having a good time. Just last week, I was, I was sharing with somebody for me, one of the things I love to do when I get time to do it, and it's been a while and I can't wait to do it again, is ride roller coasters. I love the biggest and the baddest roller coasters. I love it. It's fun. But he says, Tom was like, don't, 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 don't spend your life, okay, trying to escape from the reality of life itself. Solomon said, it's better for you to go to a funeral than to be at a wedding or a two chains concert. Because at a funeral, you are confronted with sorrow 
And more importantly, you are confronted with the brevity of life. Life, Scripture says, is a vapor. It is as a single molecule that is here for a moment, and it's gone just like that. What Solomon is constantly teaching you and I to think about is really this question, am I living with the end in mind? So godly wisdom faces reality. Here's the next thing we learn from this passage is this, godly wisdom admits failure. Look at verse 5. Better to be criticized by a wise person than to be praised by a fool. Mm, mm, mm. Better to be criticized by a wise person than to be praised by a fool. Godly wisdom admits failure. What is Solomon saying here? Solomon is saying it is actually better for you to hear a correction from someone who is wise and someone who loves you than from someone to pat you on the back and to give you another cupcake. That is the opposite of worldly wisdom, by the way. We're living in a time where people don't want to be corrected. We want people to pat us on our back. We want people to tell us that our thoughts and our behaviors, that it is all okay. That we want folks to affirm us. We want people just to tell us, to look at us and say, you just do you, boo-boo. Whatever you want, however you want to do it, you just do you. And anyone who tries to correct you, this is what worldly wisdom would say, they are against you. But scripture would say, that's foolish. That is a foolish way of living. Solomon is saying that you and I, starting with Jay Sanders first, that we need to have people in our life who can sit us down, risk the relationship, and lovingly let you know where you have failed. Do you have folks like that in your life? Can you think of a person in your life that loves you enough to tell you the truth? I know that I can. One of the first persons that comes to my mind is the person I'm married to, Josephina. Let me tell you what, she loves me, but she will tell me the truth. Right, Mackenzie? She knows, she knows Fina. Yes, she will. You have two options, though, when it comes to failure. Let me just ask this question, first of all. How many of us in this room would admit and say, at some point in your life, you have failed in one way or another? I'll be the first one to put my hand up. Anybody else? Look at that. Look at all these failures in the room. And here's what you need to know. Failure can either define you or it can refine you. Failure can either define you or it can refine you. You can allow failure to become a part of your identity. Where you begin to identify yourself by your greatest failure. And we all have one. Or you can allow failure to refine you. Here is the beautiful thing, okay, about Christianity. And for those of us who follow Christ, it is the concept called grace. Emma and I, we didn't even talk, but she kept mentioning grace, 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 over and over and over and over and over again. Anybody grateful for grace here in the house today? Uh, really? Let me try this again. Anybody grateful for God's grace here in the house today? Maybe you thought I was talking about your cousin Jabubu's grace, okay? No. God's grace. Grace is not something that you earn. 
Grace only moves into brokenness. And as I look around the room today, y'all all look good. Look like you looked at the mirror before you walked out of your room, your house, wherever you came from. You look good. But all of us are broken in some way. It's just that some of us, some of our brokenness is more visible than others. But we're all broken. And grace moves into those places of, of brokenness in each and every one of our lives, if we would allow it. Grace is not for people who have it all together. Is there anyone in this room that would say, you have it all together? Anybody? Anybody? Is there anybody in this room who would be prideful of to say, I have it all together? Okay, good. We're all broken. Grace moves into the broken areas of our life, and Jesus comes to you and I in the midst of our brokenness and says, I know, I see it, and I love you all the same. So let's move from this place of brokenness to a place of beauty, which is found in Christ. You know one of the prayers for, that I have for our ministry, the BCM, for our family? One of those things is this, you can put it up on the screen, is this, is that, in, that you would experience here within this ministry environments of grace and people of grace. That as we are invulnerable, as we expose the weakness, the areas in our life where, man, we have fallen short and all of us have them, that what we would experience is environments of grace. Not just here on a Thursday night, but man, in our family groups, whether it's a, or a BCM-sponsored event, that in any environment where the BCM, BCM is, you would experience environments of grace. But not only that, but that you would also encounter people of grace. Here's a question I have for you and I tonight. Do you have people in your life that would tell you what you need to hear or just what you want to hear? Because there is a difference. Sometimes we surround ourselves with people who will only tell us what we want to hear, but not what we need to hear. Here's the next thing. Godly wisdom perseveres in patience. Look at verse 8. Finishing is better than starting. Patience is better than pride. Solomon is spitting some wisdom here. Let me ask you a question. Has it ever been true of your life that you were a good starter but not a good finisher? Anybody? Huh? Anybody? You ever started something and, man, you had, a, you had the heart intent that you are going to finish it, but you didn't finish it, you know? Maybe it was a project or some idea that you had. Maybe it was cleaning out your closet, you know, or, uh, you know, your car or whatever it may be, but you didn't finish it. Maybe you had the intent but lacked the follow-through. Scripture says right here that finishing is better than starting. When I read that, I, I wanted to close my book. I wanted to close the Bible after I read that because I was like, mm-mm. felt a little convicted because there have been many times in my life where I've started things that I did not finish, where I had the intent but lacked the follow-through to finish it. Starting something can be easy, but persevering with patience to the finish line can be hard. But aren't you grateful that God is not like us? I'm certainly grateful that God is not like Jay Sanders. Kevin, uh, maybe, you know, maybe you're, you know, you're okay with God being like you, you know, but not like Jay. 
I'm so grateful that God is not like us. He finishes what he starts. Amen? We see that in creation. Oh, he took his time. And everything that he created, it was good. He finished what he started. We see that with Christ when he came to the earth. And, man, he did incredible things. He taught incredible things. He, he, he healed people. But it wasn't finished until he went to the cross. And he actually literally used these words, it is what? Finished. He finished what he set out to do. Jesus did. But do you know this? It's the same, the same is true as well in a Christian's journey. The work that Christ begins in you when you surrender your life over to Christ, the work he begins in you, oh, he wants to see it through to the very end. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says this, and I am certain that God, Paul says this, who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Is it okay if I teach you some doctrine here just for a minute? Is that okay? Just for a moment. Salvation, let's think of it in really three tenses in light of this verse that I just mentioned here from Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. There are a couple of things that happen within our journey as believers, okay, at the moment of salvation. The process that begins to take place. The first thing is justification. Justification. It's a big word that basically means I've been saved from the penalty of sin. I've been saved from the penalty of sin. You know what we deserve? What we deserve is eternal separation from God forever. But because of Christ, who came to planet Earth, carried a cross up to Calvary's mountain, where he was pierced with nails in his hands and in his feet, and a crown of thorns was, was placed on his head. He died a sinner's death, although he had never sinned at all. And because of his death and resurrection, we have been justified. Anybody grateful for that? We've been saved from the penalty of sin. Rehearse those words again from Philippians 1. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, is because of the good work that Christ did on the cross when he went to the cross and died a sinner's death, although he was sinless. Here's the next thing is there's sanctification that begins to take place in yours and my life for those of us who are Christ followers in the room. And it's this thought, I am being saved from the power of sin. Go back to Philippians 1.6. He will continue his work. I've been saved from the power of sin. The moment that we surrender our life over to Christ, not only are we justified, but we are in this process of sanctification that Christ is committed to in our life. And that is this, this, this process of making us look more like Christ in every area of our life. Here's the last thing, and I'm looking forward to this. It is this big, long word that we don't necessarily use every day, and that is this word, glorification. And it is this thought, I will be saved from the presence of sin. Hallelujah. Praise God. Here's the, here's the, the verse that's there from Philippians 1.6. Until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And I don't know about you, but I am looking forward to the day when Christ returns. 
But until he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ, what? I stand. And as the fall semester is quickly coming to an end, soon we'll be sitting around with our families with some turkey or whatever you do around Thanksgiving, right? Opening gifts for Christmas. We begin to set our gaze even on the spring semester as this is ready to come. As we've been on this journey this year, we we're praying, man, that for explosive spiritual growth that would take place in the lives of those who are involved here in this campus ministry called the BCM in the spring semester. We hope to be a part of that process of sanctification, that God would allow us to be a part of that process, specifically through something called discipleship. And we're going to talk more about that opportunity here a little bit later on, even tonight. Here's the next thing we see here in this passage. We're almost finished. Godly wisdom isn't nostalgic. Look at verse 10. Don't look for the good old days. This is not wise. Don't look for the good old days. This is not wise. And my response to that is, why not? I like thinking about the good old days. I like, there's some things about the good old days that I go back to and I'm like, man, that was fun. I like thinking about Rugrats growing up. Power Rangers. I like thinking about, man, on a Saturday morning, little, little Jay still rocking the gap, okay, I love, man, sitting in front of my TV with a big old bowl of cereal and just having no cares in the world. The good old days. Do you know where the word nostalgia comes from? It's a compound word that comes from two Greek words. The first one meaning return home. The second one meaning pain. It's where we get the word homesick. You ever been homesick before? Huh? You ever had moments in your life, even in college, you're just like, man, I'm homesick. Anybody? Anybody? Maybe when you like, you know, walk into the MSC and you see all your options for food, which are very few, and you're like, man, I just miss home cooking. How many more times can I have Chick-fil-A, you know? And you're like, I know this is a blessed chicken, but I want something with some grease, you know? Something that's going to give me some diabetes, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> How often have you heard man, the phrase, the good old days, the good old days? Why are there moments in life do we want to go back to and find comfort from? Solomon is doing something really good heart work here. You see, if you're looking to the past for comfort, it could be because, it could be because we are afraid of the future. We are oftentimes afraid of the future because we can't control the future. And let's be honest. How many would say, sometimes, Jay, I struggle with wanting control in my life? I know that I do at times. Anybody else? Oh, Kevin? Oh, not you? Okay, 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 okay. That's okay. Not in Puerto Rico. No, I'm messing around, I'm messing around. We all can struggle with that. We want control. And one of the places that we look back to is back to the past. Because we can control what's happened in the past, we think. But you can't control what's going to happen in the future. And what we often do in moments of the unknown is we return back to the past and we try to return back to what we are used to. We do that in ministry sometimes. 
in our churches, even with our campus ministry sometimes, we say, man, I want to go back to the good old days. And Jesus only wants us to glance at the past, never to live or to stare at it. Jesus is about doing something new in yours and in my life. And new things require new ways. And I would be the first to admit that there are times in my life when I want to go back to the, what I think is the good old days. But Jesus is like, I want to take you forward. Here's the last thing as we end tonight. Godly wisdom is found in Jesus. Now listen to me carefully. You may be thinking, where do you see that at? I don't see Jesus in here. I think about Solomon. Solomon, he probably had some vague understanding of the coming Messiah. But in no way, shape, or form does he understand the way that we do today, the incarnation or what the life of Jesus was going to look like. But check out what he says in verse 20 of chapter 7. He's looking around on earth and he says, not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. Look at verse 23, drop down. I've always tried my best to let wisdom guide my thoughts and actions. I said to myself, I am determined to be wise, but it didn't work. Wisdom is always distant and difficult to find. Solomon is saying, man, listen. The wiser I get, the less I know. Isn't that interesting? This doesn't make any sense. Because wisdom isn't ultimately the answer. You know what or who is ultimately the answer? Jesus is. The key word in our text today was better. Jesus actually references Solomon in Matthew chapter 12, verse 42. I love how God's word, it doesn't contradict itself. It complements itself. And in Matthew chapter 12, verse 42, he's, Jesus has been going on. He's been saying a lot of things. We pick it up in midway in his conversation. And he says this, the queen of Sheba will also stand up against this generation on judgment day and condemn it. For she came from a distant land to hear the wisdom of who? Solomon. Now, someone greater than Solomon is here, but you refuse to listen. It's interesting. Jesus is speaking in third person, but he's talking about himself. Someone, he says, greater than Solomon is here, but you refuse to listen. Jesus is that someone who is greater. Let me encourage you tonight, because a lot of times as you're journeying through as we've been journeying through the book of Ecclesiastes, there is a lot of encouragement you find there. So let me give you some encouragement here tonight. Let me give you some encouragement in the greater, who is Jesus. Let me remind you what Scripture says that Jesus is greater than. First of all, Jesus, he is greater than death, which we all will face someday. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 56 and 57, the scripture says this, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is greater than death. Not only that, but Jesus is greater than our problems. Anybody got any problems here in the room today? Even just one of them? John 16, verse 33 says this, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. And in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus is also greater than our sin. Any sinners in the room? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says this, He himself bore our sins and in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Jesus is greater than our doubts. And by the way, you can be a believer and still have doubts in your life. Those two can coexist. But Jesus, he is greater than our doubts. Luke chapter 24, verse 38 and 39, he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. This is after Christ had resurrected. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones that you see that I have. What a sight that must have been. I'm not quite sure how I would respond. When he said, touch me and see, I'd have been like, nah, I don't know about that. But Jesus is greater than our doubts. And Jesus is greater than our past. All of us have something in our past that we may not want to speak of. But Jesus is greater than our past. Psalm 103 verse 12 says this, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Anybody grateful for that in the room today? Jesus is greater than our plans. There's a lot of great plans in this room, but he's greater than our plans. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Here's the last thing that I hope will bring some encouragement. Jesus is greater than our pain. In Isaiah Chapter 53, verse 4 and 5. Surely he took our pain. He took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet he considered, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and inflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are what? Healed. Oh, can I give you one more? I'm sorry. Because I think this is so relevant. Jesus is greater than our fears. And for some reason in our day and time, we've had the pandemic, right, of something called COVID that has happened on the planet. But I think we've also have had not only a spread of a virus, but a spread of fear in the land. And Jesus is greater than our fear. Let me remind you of a simple truth. An oldie but a goodie. From 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. 
Maybe tonight you say I have a lot of needs in my life. Jesus is greater than our needs. In Philippians 4.19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. I am so glad that the Bible did not stop in Ecclesiastes. Many of the questions that are asked in the book of Ecclesiastes are actually answered on outside of the book of Ecclesiastes. Kind of poetic, pretty interesting. Just like in and of ourselves, we can never find the solution to life issues or problems. We have to go outside of ourselves and find hope and peace that's only found in a person whose name is Christ, who is great. Just bow your head and close your eyes. Tonight, with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, you guys have been the bomb as we've walked through Ecclesiastes chapter 7. I only have a few questions here for you tonight, and that is this. One, has God spoken to you tonight? How many of you say, Jay, as we've walked through Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and talked about what wisdom is, what godly wisdom is, God has spoken to my heart tonight in one way or another. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and say, yep, God has spoken to me. He's spoken to me. Many hands all over. What is it that God is saying to you tonight? Maybe tonight is the first time that you heard this thought that Jesus is greater. And maybe you've been trying all kinds of other things like education or trying things under the sun like, like Solomon did. Worldly pleasures or wealth. You fill in the blank. But ultimately, you discovered it isn't satisfying. I love the old hymn that says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full into his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim as you look into the eyes of his glorious face. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than anything you could ever imagine. And if you ever want to experience hope, if you ever want to experience purpose in your life, it first starts with surrendering your life to Christ. Jesus has already done the hard part. He went to the cross because of our sin. He died. He was placed in a tomb according to the scripture. He raised from the grave three days later. It's a proven fact. In fact, if you were to go back to that grave, it's here on the planet. There have been many who've been there that went back to the grave where Jesus was placed. He is not there. He is alive. And in him, he is offering abundant life. But are you willing to admit to God that you are a sinner? Are you willing to believe in that Jesus who went to the cross for you, who died for you, who resurrected from the grave for you after three days? And are you willing to call on him even now and ask him to come into your life and to save you? No one's going to manipulate you or try to push this decision on you. But I can say it's the best decision you could ever make. 
And so maybe that's you tonight. You say, Jay, I'm ready to make that decision. Well, tonight, in the silence of your heart, you can use these words or you can use your own words. Say this, dear God, I admit I'm a sinner. Thank you, Jesus, for paying my penalty for sin. Please forgive me. Save me now. Come into my life. Make me a part of your family.